I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The Deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. The nail in the coffin! Welcome to the Nail in the Coffin. I'm Tom Valentino. He is Travis Yuli. Trev, a uh, lot of things going on right now, and uh, just as many things not going on right now. Where, where do you want to start here? Um, I tell you what, buddy. I think we should we should start with what's happened recently. So, what do you say we talk a little Browns first? All right, all right. So the Cleveland Browns eight and three. Uh, against all odds, I might want to say. <laughs> Given yeah. I, I think that's that's, that's always been the case. I think Browns eight and three is always against all odds. <laughs> I mean, it's of all years for that to, uh, to to find the Browns five games over five hundred for the first time since what nineteen ninety four. Quite some time, yeah. When yeah. when old Belichick was rowing the sidelines. Right. Yeah. All hell's broken loose in the NFL. Uh, let, let's get into the Browns specifically in a moment, uh, but. Uh, first we, we have to talk about, um, just the general state of the NFL right now. And I guess football in general, uh, we will get into the Buckeyes and, and their whole fiasco here in a minute in the, the big 10, but, uh, we got the word this afternoon or right around dinner time that, uh, the Ravens and the Steelers are finally going to play their Thanksgiving game on Wednesday. But uh, it's going to be uh, in the in the afternoon uh, with like a March Madness like starting time of three forty, um, because we can't interfere with a, a Christmas tree lighting at Rockefeller Center in New York. So, it's why not it's the most bizarre? It's it's peak twenty twenty. It's incredibly twenty twenty, but um, it's also like insanely bizarre. Like I, I still can't really wrap my head around the logic and why they continue to like bend over backward uh, to accommodate the Ravens right now. Um, I, I, it feels like they, they have more and more positive tests every day. They're going the wrong direction from where they were on Thursday. So what, like, what is the logic behind this? When, you know, we saw on, um, Saturday night, the Broncos were essentially forced to get out there and play a game when they didn't have a goddamn quarterback. (laughs) Um, I don't, I'm, I'm struggling to see why they're going so far out of their way to accommodate the Ravens right now, instead of just saying, suck it up, get out there and play with who you have. Yeah, that's the thing that's frustrating is the NFL does theoretically have some sort of protocol to navigate all of this, but the league has done an exceptionally shitty job of explaining it. I've seen some beat writers uh, wrinkle their noses like, well, obviously they're not playing favorites. There's there's a method to all this. Well, do a better job of explaining it then because a whole lot of people, some of whom are paid to know this stuff, uh, don't really seem to understand what's going on here. And it's really frustrating. I mean, like what you said, that, that game yesterday between the Broncos and Saints. New Orleans. Yeah. yeah New Orleans. I mean, yeah. It was a joke. It, it, it was, it was ridiculous. 
Um, and meanwhile, like what you said, you know, th- this Ravens situation, and even once they play that game on Wednesday, I think they're still going to be without Labar, right? I think so. Um, if not, I mean, the, the Steelers have a pretty strong complaint there. If all of a sudden they delayed it long enough that he qualifies to play <laughs> in that game. Right. Um, that's, I mean, that's pretty ridiculous. I don't know. I was under the assumption that he wouldn't be eligible for that no matter what. Um, that's a huge shift, but I mean, you have to get to a certain point where you're going to say, listen, you guys got to play with who you have, right? Like they're a day away from playing their week 12 game in week 13. Like, yeah. <laughs> like how is this possible? Well, that's the unintended consequence of all this is for the Browns, you know, that, I mean, the Ravens schedule, originally had them playing last Thursday and then uh, this week they were supposed to be playing another Thursday night game and then they were going to have 10 days off before they played the Browns on Monday night football. The Wait, the Ravens were originally supposed to play this Thursday? Yeah. No shit. Okay. I didn't realize that. Right. Okay. So that game had to get pushed back to like, I think next Tuesday. I, I don't know. It's impossible to keep track of this anymore. Yeah, so I think it's next Tuesday now that they're going to play that game with the Cowboys. So instead of having 10 days to prepare for the Browns, now they're going to have six, and they're going to be playing their third game in less than two weeks. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't get any of it. And we've seen, I mean, there's been a lot of people that have been, you know, put on the, the COVID list or whatever they call it, the temporary IR or whatever they're whatever that thing is, right? We've seen a lot of teams deal with it. I just, what's unique about this Baltimore situation that they're doing so much to get I around I guess the it? thing is, is it's just that they don't feel like they have it contained and there might be more positives when you get like another guy testing positive and another one and every day you've got more positive tests showing up. Whereas I think with the, with the Broncos, all those other quarterbacks were ruled out even though they, I don't think other than, was a true lock. There was like one quarterback that they had that tested positive and the other guys. I didn't guys, think any of them tested. I thought they all were just high, like well, high think, risk contacts or whatever. I think they had one quarterback test positive and the rest of them were all like in high risk contact. And okay. just as I like a was... precaution, they had to be okay. ruled out, but they didn't have like this rolling list of positives that was growing every day. Um, but yeah, even still, it's, it's just strange to me. I mean, cause like, you look at like the Brown situation, um, you know, and you know, we were kind of saying at the top here, it's crazy that the Browns are eight and three. Cause I mean, the Browns are never eight and three, but just with this year and everything going on. Um, I mean, I, I was starting to wonder last week if that game with the Jaguars was going to be put in jeopardy because it certainly felt that way. You know, it, it never really felt like that was being discussed, but I mean, the Browns had several guys who were not able to play this past Sunday. And it felt like it was one of those situations where it was like another day, another guy, another day, another guy. And, um, you know, I don't think there's much consideration for it affecting one position group disproportionately, obviously not in the case of the Broncos. Um, but yeah, like the Browns, I think, um, you know, their defense really took a hit. So, um, yeah. yeah, I mean they were playing. I mean, they were playing without their two best players. Obviously, Denzel Ward was out for a completely separate reason. But right, um, yeah, they were clearly shorthanded. Um, I don't know. It's it's 
it's sort of, obviously it's uncharted territory, right? Everything they're doing right now is something they never really anticipated having to deal with. So to an extent, you kind of give them a little bit of leeway there. And if, if we're looking a little more at the, the Ravens and Steelers game still, you have to say that, okay, if they are erring on the side of caution and they're saying these guys, like this team shouldn't be traveling until we have a grasp on how spread it is, then okay, that's one thing. But you you get to a certain point where you, you got to shit or get off the pot, right? Like um, I know they hate the idea of, of like forfeiting a game or something like that. Um, as we saw like with the Titans earlier in the season where they kind of seemed like, they, it seemed like they honestly got off kind of light. We talked about this a few weeks ago and it, it felt like the Titans pretty much shit all over the protocols, didn't do what they were supposed to do and kind of just got off, let off the hook for it. Um, and, and, you know, maybe that's generally they just don't want to have forfeits and you get the logic behind that. Right. But um, it gets to a certain point where you're and the Steelers team kind of bitched about it on Thanksgiving and they were being, you know, I thought they were sort of overreacting. So your game got moved to Sunday. Who cares? Um, But at this point, I think they have a little more valid beef with it uh, that, you know, their game just keeps getting pushed further and further back by something that is not their doing. Um, there comes a certain point where you have to just say, Hey, you guys are doing what you're supposed to do. You guys are available. We're not going to continue to penalize you for it. Yeah. It's, it's a mess. Um, but amid all this, uh, the Browns pulled out a win uh, yesterday down in Jacksonville. Uh, not necessarily the prettiest uh, finish there. Got a little, a uh, little bumpy again. That's a bit um, of an understatement. Yeah, but uh, I'll be honest, I'm not looking for style points, especially right now no. when, when you're missing Miles Garrett, no. when you're missing Denzel Ward. Uh, Ronnie Harrison goes out in uh, the first play of the game. Uh, before I could even sit down, I had to go back upstairs. My cat had pulled down all of our Christmas decorations off cat our mantle. Little shit. Oh, man. Um, yeah, he's not my favorite member of the family. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yeah, that that picture did not make its way to Instagram over did the weekend. Not work. Um but uh yeah, I mean it's it, it's it's crazy to me. Um I, I, I almost hesitate to start singing the praises of the Browns. I feel like every time we start doing this, right, especially before a big game, uh everything goes catastrophically wrong immediately after. So I apologize in advance if uh things don't go the right way in, on Sunday in Tennessee. But yeah, uh, here we are. Yeah, it's it's interesting because we've spent so much time over the last several years watching the Browns find new ways to lose games, right? Whether it just be high level of incompetence or poor play calling or late gaffes that just no you you don't see anyone else do, right? They've they found all these different ways and they've mastered that aspect of it. Yesterday was one of those games that previous Browns teams would have lost. Right? Oh, without question. When you got down to that, when it got down to two points, the Browns would have managed to find a way to lose that game in the past. So while I don't think, you know, they're not lighting the world on fire, they've got a good record, but they don't, I don't know that they're really scaring anyone if they get into the playoffs. Um, it's still a very obvious step in the right direction. So you have to take some, some encouragement from that. Um, there's obviously things you'd like to see done better, but overall, um, I mean, yeah, they're they're eight and three. They're essentially in the driver's seat for a wild card spot. Um, if they 
if they win the games they're supposed to win and I mean, what do they have? Probably they probably got four games left on their schedule that are um, that they'll be underdogs in. If I had to guess, I, I'm not looking. No, no, no. Me, but um, they'll be underdogs to they're underdogs the Ravens this, another time. The, yeah, they'll be underdogs that, this week. They'll be underdogs to Steelers. That's three. Okay, is that it? You think they'll you be favorites the, for the other ones? You got the uh, yeah. You got the um, the oh, they Jets, got the Giants and then the, and the the Jets and the and Giants in back to back weeks. So they'll be favorites for two. They'll be underdogs for three. Um, that so Ravens they, game, I'm not sure they would be a big dog in right now, especially with given their whole circumstance. Given that, their situation and the way that they've been playing lately. It's not like they've even been lighting the world on fire before all no. this stuff. So, I mean, they've they've struggled the last few weeks. So, yeah, it's not yeah the they'll have a chance in that one. game. They're, you, like this, you like what you've seen from them, but um, there's still sort of those things that leave you shaking your head. I will say this. I, don't, I didn't think so at the time, and I think it maybe changed my perspective a little bit. Um, the the idea to go for it on fourth and inches yesterday, mm-hmm. late in the game when they could have made an eleven point game. What do you think of that? The more I think about it, I at the time I was all about it. And let's be fair here, and I'm still looking for an explanation of how they didn't have that first down um, when you could see the ball touching the thing. I still don't get how like on the broadcast, the officials, nobody seemed to point out. They actually got the first down and they called it a turnover on downs. Am I like completely misremembering or was there not a play years ago in a very similar situation like that? They used a, uh, index an index card. card. Yeah. And it was yeah. like, if you could not get the index card between the ball and the stick, it's a first down. And like, I'm looking at the same picture you are. I, I have no, I mean, that ball was like overlapping with the edge it was of the overlapping the with the thing. Like it was very, like in my opinion, very clearly that they got that line to gain. If assuming that the, the, um, the pole, I don't know. What do you call that thing? Whatever you call it, the down marker, <laughs> assuming that was, you know, put up correctly. And right. what we were looking at on TV was accurate. They got the first down. If it wasn't, then okay, fix it and measure again. But I, I have no idea how everyone watching the game seemed to just sort of gloss over it and ignore the fact that the ball was clearly touching it. Yeah, it's one of those things that I can't like. If this was a, if the Browns lost that game, if this was like a playoff game or something that had like important ramifications at the end of the season, they'd be talking about that twenty four hours a day on ESPN. Yeah. I'm I'm, I'm going to tell you, you know, everybody loves Jerome Boger because he uh, sounds like the ladies' man. But uh, I, I got problems with nah, you, Jerome Boger. Nah, it's, I don't like it. Although not, you see, he was not rocking, your best he was, work. He was rocking the COVID beard yesterday, so I'll give him credit for that. That's about the only thing I'll give him credit for. Oh my goodness! I, I, that whole sequence though was frustrating because that one, that minute of officiating was just mind-boggling. Right, because before that they'd mark Kareem Hunt down two yards short, like his knee. They thought his knee had touched, and and then charged the replay, him the timeout and took away the challenge. And well, then we come okay, back from so, commercial and they're like, "Oh yeah, we we fucked that up." Yeah, we actually we gave him back the timeout, which I was gonna because like that was the thing. My immediate reaction was like, "How do you challenge a play?" get the spot changed by like two full yards yards. and still still quote unquote lose the challenge. Like that's ridiculous. So I guess on the, uh, the technicality, no, we were not challenging uh, the first down. We were challenging the spot, which if you could do that, then why would you ever challenge? Why would you ever challenge? Yeah. The the first down, you should always just challenge the spot. Exactly. Um, Well, no, they said he was challenging whether he was down by contact at the first spot. 
Yeah. So they looked and said he wasn't. But still, I mean, you could use that technicality every time, right? That's what uh, I'm saying. Yeah. That's, which I almost wonder if that's like a loophole that uh, more people are going to start using. Cause, um, yeah. And the fact was that they looked at that review and spent so much time on it. And when they came back from the commercial, they announced it. I feel like they just moved on from the fact that you got the first down. Like you got it and they completely, they measured it, looked at it and everything. And nobody said anything. I've never seen anything like it. uh, I've never seen, I've never seen a, a, a ball that was clearly like touching the thing, not be called a first down. That was annoying. The the CBS crew that was working that, which I think is like their six string crew. We we had them earlier this year. That's a, right. That's yeah, a brutal, when they were like talking. Group. Yeah, they were talking after that about uh, the Browns challenging the fourth down play, and I can't remember exactly how the play by play guy explained it, but he was wrong because even with getting that timeout back, because you lost the first challenge on that drop in the end zone, was it Harrison Bryant? Uh, you couldn't have had a third challenge anyway. So yeah, like, but to their but that's not their fault because the um when he announced they were getting the timeout back, he said they'll get back their timeout and their challenge. The referee did. So that's Jerome Boger strikes again. Rough day for him. Rough. Too much day of the Cavassier. I thought the same thing. Um, <laughs> 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 uh, I thought the same thing at the time when he said it. I was like, wait a minute, you only get two challenges period even if you win them all like no if you if you get both if you challenge twice and you win both challenges you get a third one but okay i thought it was that you got i only get a third one if you win both the first two okay all right then i had it mistaken too um but yeah still it was it was one of those things just mind-boggling and they came back and i i'm not gonna um that's the one thing I won't criticize the announcers for because the referee just previously said they get a challenge back. I'll give them no quarter. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> got to be on top of your game there. You're, there's it's a limited number of network TV jobs. You got to know better if you're in that position. That, that, that kind of stuff drives me nuts. Yeah, and the thing was they brought Gene territory in for every fucking thing they wanted to talk about, <laughs> and they didn't bring him in for why the hell did they not give him the first down here, Gene? Come on, Gene. Give me an answer, Gene. <laughs> what are you hiding, Gene? It was ridiculous. No, but just to your point uh, about how that's a game that it feels like the Browns in any other year would lose. Um, the end of the game, when the Browns were able to run out the clock, I mean, they had the first down and then it got wiped out by what, a holding penalty? And yeah. so then it was like third and 12 and it, you're thinking, okay, execute that just, screen perfectly. Could I just run the ball here? And, uh, you know, I think that would have given, uh, or that they would have that Jacksonville's like last time out. Or so. or, yeah. Anyway, it was just, yeah. you're, you're basically giving up on getting the first down just to like run clock and burn timeouts and yada, yada. And no, they ran the screen pass and, uh, and got a first down out of it. I'm like, hell yeah, it's a new year, new Browns. How about it? <laughs> yeah. And it worked. So they got away with it, but you know, if that's an incomplete pass and you're giving them the ball back with a lot more time, you're like, well, what the hell are we doing here? Right. Um, yeah. Which so, I mean, to be fair would have been an eminent uh, possibility uh, given what we saw from Baker yesterday. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What a bizarre game for him. I mean, really you look at his, game. his final really line. Game. I think he had about 250 yards, two touchdowns, the stats no turnovers. Really good. The yeah. stats looked really good. I mean, not, he didn't light the world on fire, but he was efficient. You know, his, uh, completion percentage was good. Two picks, no one or two touchdowns, no picks. Like all that was good, but like he missed some really easy throws. Like 
right. plays that that you know if it was if it was a neck and neck game could have just been crippling like the the missed touchdown in the end zone to Higgins where he missed him twice and then threw off his back leg and just airmailed it um and then the missed um the missed like two yard pass to Kareem for the first down yeah. um yeah like he he missed the really easy ones but then he he threaded some needles like he threw some, he threw some lasers that got in those small windows and yeah it's it's tale of two uh two bakers basically i can't remember who made this analogy but it was perfect they said he's like jr smith where you need to turn up the degree <laughs> of difficulty for him to actually uh uh connect it's uh... he'll brick two free throws and then hit a half court yeah then hit the the turnaround fadeaway three-pointer yeah. from 30 feet um yeah it, it, it's i don't know the browns I, I think if we've learned anything through these first 11 games they have a very specific formula for winning it's keep the game close or or get a lead. If they if they get a lead and they can lean heavily on the run, mm-hmm. they're they're going to be successful a lot more often than they're not. Yeah, the, I mean, the that's, games, that's true for pretty much that's true for Well, no, it's league. just if you, if you play a lead, most teams are going to be better. But no, I get what you're saying. There I mean, are that, teams in the league that are built to come from behind. Yeah. And you know, and teams that are built to be pass happy and I mean to be honest, most of the teams that win in the NFL are pass heavy teams. You know, you don't see a, a, a run dominant team, especially to the degree that the Browns are yeah, um, sure. having the success that they have. But then again, how many teams in the league have a running back combination like Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt? I don't, so, I don't think anyone has as good of a one, two. Um, right. So I mean, who, has, and who like, has a backup as good as, as Kareem Hunt? Nobody. Um, <laughs> how many teams have a starter that's as good as Kareem Hunt? Not many, exactly. Right. I mean, he'd, he'd be he'd be the, he'd be RB one for twenty teams in the league. Yeah, and it's shown. I think one thing I've noticed as the season's gone on, and I think this probably happened when Chubb was out, and they've kind of changed a little bit about how they sort of rotate them in and out. I thought early in the season Chubb was getting all sort of like the early carries. And as the game got later, they'd sort of plug Hunt in with like fresh legs. Now yeah. it seems like they're cycling them in and out more throughout the game. Right. Have you noticed that as well? Yeah. Is that it, crazy? It, no, I think that's a hundred percent accurate. And you know, if you look at Nick Chubb's rushing yards in the fourth quarter of these last few games, uh, you know, a lot of that is just because the, you know the Browns have you know worn down defenses. They can finally hit the big play. But I mean, Chubb's averaging like what is it, twelve yards a carry or something like that in, in the, the fourth, fourth quarter. quarter. Yeah, the, la- the last few weeks, and and even insane. taking he, he's had a couple of fifty-yard runs in there, but even taking those out, I think he's still averaging like almost eight yards a carry in the fourth quarter. So um, clearly, they're they're using both of them. Yeah, um, I think he leads the league in twenty-yard runs and yeah. his four games. Like that's right. That's nuts. Like obviously, the offensive line's been stepping it up lately too. It's just. Yeah, I agree with what you're saying, though. Overall, it's it's it caters when they're not – I mean, you look at the Pittsburgh game and the Ravens game, right? Yeah. They got I mean, blown I, I was... out, so they're playing catch-up. They're throwing the ball a lot, and they can't – they don't have the, the luxury of setting up the pass with the run and vice versa, right? They have yeah. to pass a lot. So much of what the Browns do is – I mean, even their passing game is based on the run. I mean, you just look at the difference in Baker's numbers. I, I don't have them in front of me, but, I mean – you look at the difference between passing plays that are from a play action versus passing plays that are just straight dropbacks. I mean, like the first the series pocket, yesterday, yeah, it's, it's night and day. It's night yeah. And I mean, the, the first series yesterday, they started with five wide shotgun and, you know, 
it, it put him behind the chains right right from the get go, and that entire series was wrecked. I I don't know, just every page of the playbook that has like that five wide empty set, blah blah blah. Throw that in a bonfire because it just it, it never works and it never has and it drives me nuts. You know the Browns have an identity when they can run the ball a lot and when they can run play action. That is where they find their success offensively. And when you're not asking Baker to do a whole lot because you've got defenses so keyed up on stopping the run, that's when he's able to to strike. So yeah, I mean you look at this game coming up against the Titans next weekend. You know, if Baker. I mean, I don't think Baker's gone what three or four games now without an interception. He yeah, gets a pick six. Twenty some. Yeah, I was gonna say. You know, he throws a pick six in the first quarter, like he did that Pittsburgh game, and the Browns are, you know, playing from behind again, and Tennessee's running Derrick Henry all over the field. It, that's gonna be a long afternoon. I mean, it, that that the Browns cannot put themselves in that position. But you know, if they can, you know, stick to the plan here, and you know. Load up. Is uh, Janovich the fullback? Is he back this week? I think. I think, but don't quote me on that. Miles is going to be. Miles is back. Yeah, Denzel is probably out another week or two. I would assume yeah. they said a couple weeks. I don't know how long that is exactly, but yeah. Um, to your point, what you're saying, one of the things, and and during the first drive yesterday, you mentioned they had that five wide set, and it didn't look great. Right, the play calling right out of the box didn't look that great. One thing I liked about it was after that, um, they didn't. It, it they didn't try to force it right it felt like th- that first play they they kept baker out of like high risk positions right they weren't trying to like put him in a position where he felt like he needed to make a throw or something so it, it didn't sort of kill him right it didn't shoot him in the foot um they ended up having a punt and they gave him good field position but it wasn't crippling like a pick six or something like that and i think that's going to be critical right even when and it's part of playing you know, not playing from behind where you're chasing points the whole game. They, they are set up and, and they're at their absolute best when they can just run their offense. They can keep Baker and mostly like safe sort of scenarios and where he doesn't feel like he's got to be the hero out there. Right. Um, And there's, I mean, obviously there's going to come a time where he needs to, needs to make some plays and win a game. And we saw it in Cincinnati. He's got that capability, but you don't want to be doing that all game. Um, I, I feel like their team, you know, if, if they get down two touchdowns, they're probably going to be down three touchdowns before they get within one. You know what I mean? Like they're going to yeah. be, they're, they're, they're much more predictable and they're much easier to attack. And that's true across the league, I think, but probably mo- a little more so. Like you mentioned, there's teams that are built for that. Like Kansas City is built for that, right? They're a 14 point deficit is nothing to them. That doesn't worry them. They'll just go back out and run the same offense. And there's, there's a few other teams that are like that. Seattle, um, Seems like that. So it's, it's, it's not, it's just the way that they're set up. Um, but I will say this, the one thing that's kind of fun is the way that you and I are debating the Browns right now is the way that people talk about good teams. Yes. We wouldn't be having this conversation if they were, if they were two and eight or two and nine or whatever. Well, uh, put it to you this way. We've been doing this podcast for over five years now. We've never had a season where we've gotten to have conversations like this. No, no. Not at all. And I mean, it's not until we get to the point of the conversation where we're talking about the Buckeyes. Right. Um. (laughs) Right. I think it's, um, I think it's, it's interesting because I I see a lot of this on Twitter. I'm, you know, I I look on Twitter a lot. I see a lot of people are like, Oh, can't we just enjoy the Browns? It's like, no. Do you think like, do you think the people in Kansas city when they, I don't remember who they lost to this year. um, The Raiders, the Raiders. Do you think when they lost to the Raiders, 
everyone on the radio or everyone that was doing a podcast for Kansas city the following week or was talking about the chiefs was just like, Oh, you know, whatever. It doesn't matter. No, they're saying, here's what we did wrong. Here's what we like. Here's where we need to improve. They're talking about things that they can do better. Um, with the Browns, the answer for once isn't everything. <laughs> so, so yes, we can be happy that they have a good record, but we can also look at the things that they need to improve upon. Right. Right. I think that's fair. Uh, one other thing I will say about the Browns and, Obviously, winning helps uh, tremendously in this department. This has been probably the most likable Browns team I can oh, yeah. remember. Oh yeah, like these. Th- there's just so many guys in this team that I just enjoy cheering for. And I is there I feel... anyone in the league more Cleveland than Nick Chubb? Oh, he's he's fantastic. He's, he's incredible. Great. He's incredible. You know, and um, they're going to have a they're going to have a tough decision on their hands because you've already given Kareem Hunt a, a deal for next year. You have him for a for a fucking steal, and you know the, the conventional wisdom in the NFL is you don't pay running backs superstar money, and this is probably a, a discussion for another day. But I mean, Nick Chubb's everything you want in a football player, and he's the focal point of everything that they do on offense. If there was ever a team that could justify paying uh, any player and any player that would justify, you know, getting a deal like that, I, f- I feel like it's Dick Chubb with the Browns. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing about him is, as you mentioned, yeah, it's, it's sort of antithetical to where the league is going um, in terms of paying running backs, right? Most teams just operate as though, you know, we can, you know, we can find a running back. Yeah. We can get him, we can get his four years, on his rookie deal, and then we'll find someone else in the draft. Um, but most teams don't build around a running back. The offense goes through Nick Chubb, regardless of what anyone wants to say about Baker Mayfield and and, and quarterback. Yeah. The offense goes as Nick Chubb goes. Yeah. Um, and, and the maybe, Browns are unique in that regard. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And and that's okay. I think that's 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 fine if that's the way they want to go. And we saw during the time that Chubb was out, Hunt is still very good. But the offense is, and this is probably very obvious, right? This is sort of a, a dummy observation. Anyone could realize this, but um, the job becomes immensely easier for Baker when he has both of those guys. Sure. When he, when he knows whoever, whichever one of them is back there, it's going to be one of the two, right? You don't have to worry about those downs where it's Dernis Johnson or whoever. And I don't mean to pick on Dernis Johnson, but um, it's it's just a different thing. He knows that he can count on those guys anytime, right? Yeah. So they've set themselves up where they're going to be this type of team that really relies on a running back. You probably need to pay him. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll get into that more when the time comes, but you know, in the meantime, it's not just Nick Chubb, like Jarvis Landry. Oh yeah. Is, he played his ass off yesterday. And that dude is a dog. Great. And guy. I mean that great, in the like, most complimentary just, sense, just a player, man, just a player. just loves playing football. Yeah. He's, he's great. Um, I've been imp- I, I'll be honest. I've been impressed with Higgins and Kaderil Hodge and like all those guys that have stepped up. They haven't like lit the world on fire, but it's they're functional. Like they're not. They're not holding. They're not anybody back. They're not killing you yeah. when they're out there. They're stepping up and making like I think it was Hodge yesterday made an incredible catch on the sideline yesterday yep. that was huge in the game. Like I don't remember the exact scenario, but I remember thinking, "Wow, that's an amazing catch." Um, they you know they make a play or two a week, and that's for guys like that. That's all you can hope for. They're not killing sure. you. They're not committing penalties. They're not, you know, they're not a liability out there. So you, you have to be happy with it. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, 
those guys have stepped up and it's like you mentioned, it goes back to the likability, right? Everything they're doing um, kind of across the board is, is what you would want to see. I think yesterday, yeah, it was a close game and you're thinking, you know, you played the Jaguars and Jaguars are dog shit, but um, you know, you had a, your two best defensive players out a um, lot of sort of COVID stuff going on during the week, like a lot of turmoil, a lot of these things that could otherwise derail. I mean, you uh, got to show up and play every week. I mean, exactly. look at the Raiders. Still, I mean, the Raiders NFL game, right? The, the Raiders came in here and beat the Browns. I mean, it was a weird game with all the weather and all that. But I mean, the Falcons suck, and the Falcons just housed Steam the Raiders old. yesterday, Steam like forty-three old. to six. Yeah. So yeah, yeah the, the Raiders beat the Chiefs a few weeks ago. Like right, like right. Every any team can beat any team. Like there's no one, especially this year. I mean, the Jets and Giants are the Giants beat the Steel or the uh, Bengals yesterday, but. The Jets are bad, but they're still professionals and they're still okay, right? If you're not executing, you can get beaten by any team. Yeah. Um, and we've shown that we show up pretty focused. So, um, yeah, so they've got eight wins, which um, I'm going to segue here. I'm going to move us on. When's the last time we entered December 1st where the Browns had four more wins than the Ohio State Buckeyes? I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Four or do five? Do you think it's ever happened? Buckeyes How are many? four now. Oh, the Buckeyes are four now. Okay. Four now. Um, I bet it's never happened. I didn't look. I, but I mean, bet it's never happened. I was gonna say. I mean, it would have to be like, like the thing early is, John like, Cooper years, like late still, Earl I Bruce. Mean, even when Cooper, I mean, they still won nine, ten games every year, so they were still. He is. He, mm. I'd have to go back and look. That's 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 I'll a good trivia question. I'll send yeah, I'll send it to you. I'll I'll look up and update it after. But um, Ohio State's in a tricky spot right now. They're uh, the Big Ten. Obviously, we we talked about it early in the season. They've not. I honestly felt at the time that the plan they had to delay was smart and to start the season later was smart. But I think we all sort of looked at it and said, you've left yourself no buffer here. Right. You've got eight, eight weeks, eight games in eight weeks. You have no buffer for cancellations. And this six, well, it was, it's not six games technically, but it's probably going to be six games that are mandatory to qualify for the big 10 championship game. Ohio state's got to play their next two or they're not at six. They're in a really tricky spot. Um, and it's not really trending in the right direction. No. Um, so I, I was I was going to say, so just to clarify, it's a certain, they have to have played a certain percentage of, of the average number of games that have, were played in the league. Okay. Yeah. So if 12 of the four, if so if they play the rest of their season, if they play the next two, it'll be six would be the minimum to meet this threshold. If 12 of the 14 games for the rest of the season get canceled, that threshold drops down to five. Yeah. which is incredibly unlikely. So let's just treat it as six for right. Rolling no, I mean, there. so I, that's why I was going to ask you, like they're supposed to play who Michigan state 
this coming Michigan weekend? Michigan State this week and Michigan next week. Okay. Now, I, I saw Michigan's already having rumblings like they might have some COVID cases in, in their camp. Um, the, like, thing that, is, the thing that's kind of nice, and I use the term nice very loosely here, right? If the, the state of Michigan is going through some shit right now, um, and they're approaching it a little little differently. If Michigan, I don't know who Michigan uh, plays this week, excuse me, but if Michigan um, were to cancel their game and Michigan State cancels their game, theoretically, Ohio State could play whoever Michigan was going to play. The mm. Big Ten said earlier in the season, if there's multiple cancellations and two Big Ten teams want to tag up and play, then that's okay. So they could pull that off. Um whether that's feasible, I don't know. And again, I don't. I didn't look. I don't know who. Um, I don't know who Michigan plays this week. So it might be a team that Ohio State's already played. And in that case, what's the point? Mm. Um, but it's they're they're in a. I mean, they're in a weird spot right now because you have to look at it from a pragmatic perspective. And the Big Ten's always shown they're they're somewhat flexible on these things, right? They. In, in August, they were 100% dead set that the season was not going to go on at all. They were going to have to, you know, get back together and see if they could do something in the winter. Um, and a couple of weeks later, that changed and they, they moved off of that. So maybe they move off of that minimum games requirement. I don't know. Um, it's but, but Ohio State's basically erased their buffer. The thing that always seemed sort of weird to me was you were punishing both teams when one team had to cancel. So Ohio State had that Maryland canceled the game against Ohio State, and Ohio State got can't got punished for that, right? Which was sort of strange. Like that. Well, the other thing that's so difficult about this is like outside the Big Ten, if you start looking at implications for the, the playoff and the national championship, it's that every conference is playing not only on a different timeline, but by different rules. Like yeah. So Ohio State, I mean, the players that you know were positive for COVID. I mean, they have to like sit out longer than they would if they were playing in other conferences. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, shit, you saw, and we said this at the time, Trevor Lawrence tested positive and then he was standing on the sidelines. Like, was... Why was, why was he, why was he not at home? Right. Like, quarantining. It made no sense at the time. It still makes no sense. Now, Nick Saban, like got, um, he had to sit out last week. He wasn't able to coach Ryan day. Same thing. He tested positive. So he, I don't know if he'll be coaching this week or not. The rules for coaches aren't the same as players, so I don't know what um, what the ruling will be there. Um, it's 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 all. It feels like they have all these protocols in place, but all of them are somewhat somewhat soft and flexible if they want to change them. My hunch: if Ohio State goes five and zero, and you know they're a game shy, the Big Ten's going to say they're going to find a way yeah. to get them in. To get them well, into the, the other thing, championship game. Don't forget is like every single team in the Big Ten is scheduled to play in championship. Plays game. in the final week, yeah. It's not and just that's... the teams going to the title game. So like the second place teams are supposed to meet. So Right. So if Ohio State doesn't qualify for the Big Ten championship game, they could still theoretically play like Wisconsin in the last right. season. Which um, might actually which is, be it's like funny a you mentioned that more... because literally no one on ESPN realized that. Yeah, right. That's I was why watching I bring it up. a lot it's like of college I... football coverage and they were all were like, Oh, if Ohio State only plays five games, it's like you could tell that none of them knew that this rule was baked in there. Right. Um, but we'll see. I've, it's, I mean, it's, they look, they look every bit like one of the four best teams in the country. Right. So the question becomes if, 
if they're kept out of a game like a Big Ten championship game or something like that because of things that are 100% out of their control and not something that happened on the field, will the playoff committee hold that against them or not? Yeah, I, I don't envy the committee because you've got a smaller body of work to look at than ever. You've got no crossover between the conferences, so every conference is like yeah. its own little fiefdom. You're just playing each other, right. And you've got a multiple you know, non-power five teams that could end up running the table. Um, I don't know. It's... I, I'll say this. I have, I give, I give some credit to Ohio state and uh, obviously Homer, love Ohio state, go bucks. <laughs> um, they didn't meet the threshold that the big 10 defined to cancel last week. They just looked, they looked at Franklin County and what was sort of going on in their community and decided it was not a, a good time to play the game. It wasn't a good, you know, it wasn't a good situation. So they chose to do it, which Mm. I think deserves some credit. I think it takes some stones to say, Hey, we're giving, we're completely erasing whatever margin for error we had left because it's the right thing to do. Um, I don't think anyone thinks they were, you know, I don't think they were scared of Illinois. (laughs) So it's, it's just such a weird thing. And, and to your point, in terms of what the committee is going to look at, all of these conferences are handling it differently. They all have different rules. They all started at different times. They have different schedules. They have different protocols in place and all this stuff. So it's, it's, it's so all over the place that if any time, and they've always sort of operated under this assumption, right? Or this sort of mantra that we're just going to pick the four best teams if ever there was a time to say, Hey, we're throwing out some of our other criteria, like conference championships or whatever, right now would be that time for them to say, we're just going to pick what we think are the four best teams. Yeah. Um, I think as long as Notre Dame makes it to championship weekend, whether they lose to Clemson or not, they're in um, Bama. If they make it to championship weekend without losing they're in whether the, the one situation in my opinion, that gets tricky is if Florida, beats Alabama in the champ- in the SEC championship game. That's mm. the one time where you can look at it and say, okay, these are, you know, these are teams that are very evenly matched talent wise. Florida's just got a much bigger sample size for us to look at. Um, what, what is the, the practical case? Because this is happening at both the NFL level and in college that neither level is, has there been any willingness shown to add weeks and to the end of the season to make up games and push back postseason play. I'll be honest. I think the biggest, the biggest reason is you would need, and maybe you wouldn't, I guess now that I think about it, if the college football playoff committee was to say, you know what, to hell with it. We're going to push these playoff games. We're going to push the selection back a week or two. Um, let everyone else get on board, right? Big 10 could say, okay, that's great for us. Pac-12 could say that's great for us, although the Pac-12's out of it. They're done. Mm. Um, with Oregon losing last week, they're they're finished. Um, initially, my instinct is... Another officiating debacle. <laughs> Was Jerome Boger one? working in the uh, Oregon-Oregon State game? What didn't you like in that one? Oh, it was... Uh, there I, was I, it I, was dragged out, but they got the calls right. They weren't wrong. It was uh, excruciating some of the how long the replays took at the end of that game. But yeah. ultimately I thought they got them right. Um, 
but yeah, that was, I mean, that's a weird sort of goofy game, but whatever. I don't, I don't know that Oregon was really that much of a threat to begin with. Right. Um, but on the surface, the only thing that jumps out to me is there's no incentive for the SEC or the ACC to, to say, okay, yeah, we're on board with that. You guys can, we can, we can agree with that, but I don't know why they would need them to. I, okay. Like at the same time though, like you're telling them, Hey, we're going to give you an extra couple of weeks to get healthy and scout potential opponents and game plan. And you, you could make a case. There's some benefit to having extra time to prepare. This I don't know. Sound, maybe... This will sound insanely arrogant. They don't, the only team that that helps in my opinion is Ohio state. And I think all of them would rather have the committee have to look at 10 and 11, 10 or 11 and Oh, Cincinnati or 10 and Oh, whatever BYU is. They'd rather have to make that argument than say, okay, yeah, now that Ohio state won the big 10 they're in. Yeah. What a mess. Right. I mean, if you were them, I, I can't blame them for that position. Um, but it, it it's, yeah, it's, it's, it is a mess and you're right. What's, what's the downside there isn't any from like a competitive standpoint or a logistical standpoint i know they don't want to go start going against the nfl playoffs and that's part of why they've scheduled the the playoff games the way they have in the past but um no i think it's 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 a weird position to be in and i think it would be it would be wise of them to get together and say listen we want to keep some level of credibility here. We want to make sure that everybody, regardless of what conference they're in and how their conference chose to approach the season and what protocols they put in place, regardless of all that, we want to give every team a realistic shot to, you know, put together a semi-complete resume, right? Ohio state's going to, if they win, if they win out, they'll go seven and all. That's not a complete resume either, but it's it's enough to show, considering what we've seen in college football, it's enough to say you know they're one of the four best teams. Um, so we'll see. I mean, we'll see what happens. It's it's going to be really tricky. I think Ohio State came out today and said they practice as normal. Every everything was back to um, back to as expected, and they're they're operating as though they're going to play on Saturday. Hmm. But I mean, you and I were texting last week. It happened pretty quick. The cancellation. It kind of like snuck up out of nowhere. Right. Right. I saw a thing. I saw someone say that, you know, first their travel plans got changed to where they were going to originally, originally they were slated to fly out Friday, say the night. Then they were going to fly out 8 a.m. on Saturday. Then the game got moved to 3.30 to accommodate them um, playing on flying out early, right. To give them a little bit more time. That was never like announced or official. I just saw people talking about it. And then like that game was canceled. Right. And it's, it's, it's it's happened everything's moving very quickly and i don't know it's it's and it's not just with ohio state either i mean no, we're, we're seeing this with with other games as well and other programs and you know i mean it goes back to the just the chaos with the nfl schedule and what's been happening with all these ravens games having to get moved around and just to kind of put a bow on all this um i just kind of wonder you know, as we look beyond football and just kind of society in general, you know, I, what what do they say the lead time on COVID cases is like, you know, a, a week to two weeks or so, you know, 
in these in this next week or so, anybody, you know, those post Thanksgiving cases, you know, if there's going to be a surge, we're going to start seeing it. I would guess probably, you know, towards the end of this week, going into this weekend and numbers are skyrocketing everywhere already. I mean, like I live here in Lake County and you know, we're in the, the purple Ohio's range. going the wrong direction. Yeah. Ohio in general is going in the wrong direction. The area that I, uh, that I live in is going in a really wrong direction and I just wonder for the purposes of trying to get all these games in and, you know, I know these leagues want to just keep, you know, plowing ahead and getting as many games in as it, whatever means possible, but, or like, are we heading towards terminal velocity here where like, it just can't get, you know, where we reach a breaking point and things have to get, you know, paused or, or shut down or what? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, every, I'll be honest. I hear news every single day that makes me think, you know, we're getting closer and closer to a season being shut down. Even in the NFL, like it wouldn't surprise me if, and at this point it would, if it came overnight, because there's really been no rumblings of this, but um, it feels like it's going to be very tricky. And we've heard, um, I've seen stuff on Twitter about, they're going to try to do like a bubble for the playoffs and things like that. I, I don't know why they haven't been doing that all along, honestly. Mm. Um, it seems like that should have been done a while ago. Um, but that's going to be something that logistically is difficult to, um, is difficult to organize, but I think you can manage it. I don't think it's that, that crazy. Right. I think it's something that they sort of scoffed at and we saw baseball sort of ignored it as well. And I thought they probably should have done the same thing. Um, it's all, it's, it's all just kind of, I don't know. It's so up in the air and no one really knows what to do. There hasn't been any sort of protocol that's agreed upon across the board. Um, None of it is, no one really seems to be in agreement on it. They're all sort of consulting different people, different doctors say different things. You look at the way that like the sec looked at it versus the big 10 couldn't be more different, right? Like the things that their doctors were telling them. Um, I'll tell you one thing. If, if you need a doctor, are you going to Northwestern, Michigan, Ohio State, Wisconsin, or are you going to Alabama, Arkansas? Uh, I think I think I know which doctors I would listen to, but that's neither here nor there. I'm going to the Ivy League, and they aren't playing at all. Exactly. So. They've already canceled. <laughs> I think they've canceled spring sports. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens there. But um, funny you mentioned the bubble. I mean, the NBA got a lot of praise. Nailed it. For, for, Nailed yeah, it. They did. But the NBA this week is going to be getting started with trading camps to start their new season already. And I say already, I mean, it's been, you know, over eight months since the Cavs have done anything, but, um, you know, <laughs> well, I mean, they did something for, yesterday for, right? for the teams that are, you know, we're deep into the playoffs. This is the shortest turnaround between seasons ever by a wide margin. Oh yeah. Um, a friend of the show, Nick Carabine, I saw on Twitter today. He made a, yeah, he made a really good point um, about the NBA season. You know, I mean, they've obviously got a bunch of protocols, but they're hell-bent on playing games in teams' home arenas. Um, you know, the NFL, for as much struggle as they've had, they've been able to move games around because you're basically planning for one game a week. There's there's time in between games. Um, you know, baseball, when they had teams get shut down, they could make up a bunch of games with double headers. I mean, it was crazy. I mean, the Marlins yeah, played like what? Just an outrageous number of games in a 30-day span, and they ended up making the playoffs. So that didn't really, you know, compromise the integrity of their season. 
basketball, you can't play doubleheaders. You're playing probably two or three games a week, and you've only got, you know, 12 active players, 15 total players on a roster. So if you have like a COVID outbreak on your team, you could have half your roster wiped out instantly and suddenly having like how many games that need to get made up. So like how the NBA thinks they're going to pull this off, that is going to be tough. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the bu- the logistics of the bubble, if there's any team that can accommodate it, it's the NBA, and they showed it by doing it. But because the rosters are so small, you don't need to find – I mean, if you look at the NFL, you need to find, what, lodging for 60 players and huge staffs, all these different people, right? It's just a much larger operation, baseball too, to an extent. NBA is not that big. Um, they've shown that it's possible. It's almost like – in my opinion, they probably need to make a couple bubbles, like separate a little bit, set up a schedule that's that's more regional, I guess. Maybe split it halfway through, something like that. I don't know. But I think they do need to – I don't know. I, I think it's reckless to think that you're going to have yeah, I mean, um, they, people traveling every day. We don't have an actual schedule yet, which the season's right. starting in three weeks. That's Might want to get on that. Pretty wild, right? Um, but, I mean, the NBA has announced they're going to do 72 games, I think, this year instead of 82. And the scheduling is going to be kind of almost baseball-esque with series where, you know, rather than the Cavs traveling to New York to play the Knicks twice, they're going to, like, play two games in New York back-to-back. And then, you know, so that cuts down on travel. And there's a lot of things that I'll be interested to see how this season, if they can actually pull it off, I, I think that could be implemented into the NBA scheduling in the future, um, you know, post-pandemic. But we'll, we'll see. So, I don't know. Um, the other thing I was going to mention in a completely non-COVID uh, subject, but just talking about the Cavs is, uh, you know, we're going to have these Cavs games on. Uh, as a YouTube TV subscriber, I'm, I'm getting a little nervous because uh, I'm not going to have the Cavs game on uh, unless I resort to uh, some uh, less than ethical means, illicit, shall we say. Illicit strategies. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, when the, uh, the deal between Sinclair and that's the company that owns Fox Sports Ohio, um, and, and uh, YouTube broke down. I was not really panicking because, you know, I was thinking of oh, time. They'll figure yeah, it out. Yeah, we're not going to see NBA basketball until January. There's even talk of like March. And now like, here we go. And there's still no deal in place. And it's really interesting to me following along with this because shortly after YouTube uh, broke off with Sinclair, uh, Sinclair had their channels dropped from uh, Hulu as well. And I think, I was reading that represents for Sinclair about like 10% of their market share. Really? Yeah. So, right. So, and you know, even I mean, Sinclair owns a bunch of local TV stations, like local network affiliates, which all those channels were basically printing money with political ads for the last quarter. And even in spite of that, like they took a bath for this last quarter because of how much they lost with uh, their RSNs, the regional sports networks, because of these deals, you know, and and on top of that, they're not on Sling. uh, They're not on Dish. You know, they're still with, uh, like, Charter, which is Spectrum here in Northeast Ohio, 
and uh, DirecTV and Comcast. Those are like the big cable providers in the country. Um, but uh, yeah, it's I, I don't know how you own a, and operate regional sports channels and cut yourself off from that many different providers. That just feels like a very odd strategy to me. Yeah, it's, I don't know. I feel like Sinclair is, is one of those companies I'm, you know, the last few months I've developed a fuck them sort of attitude. So <laughs> yeah, there's a whole uh, lot of other reasons you could be. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> yeah. But no, that's, that's something I haven't really thought about. I haven't really looked into it. I'm not, um, I don't rely on YouTube. I don't know where else they might be missing. Um, but yeah, that's, that's one of those things that when they announce it, you're like, Oh, I don't know when exactly it was that they announced it, but you were probably thinking at the time, I'll get it figured out in time. Right. And you know, that time is, is rapidly approaching and they haven't figured it out. So, um, yeah, I don't know if, if you need, um, let me know. I know a guy. Um, (laughs) so, so, uh, what did you do to my cable boy? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Jerry's going to be a cable boy, cable boy. Um, (laughs) Other thing NBA related that we saw yesterday, and you were sort of the sleuth that was all over it on Twitter. <laughs> the Cavs rolled out a truly dreadful jersey. Oh, it was well. They have not officially rolled it out yet. It just finally leaked. I think they were okay. like the last team in the league to have any sort of uh, image of what their city edition jersey was going to look like for this year. So, for those that don't know, the NBA, every team's got like a. a, a, a a white jersey, a color jersey, a second color jersey, which is called the Statement Edition for the Cavs. That's been their black jerseys the last few years. And then they get this fourth one that's the City Edition. So, like, the first year, the Cavs had that gray one that said the land. They had the uh, the blue and orange one with the wave on it a couple years ago. Last year, yep. they did the, the mishmash of all the different eras of the past uniforms. And this year, um, I can't believe it took four years to get here, but we finally have a, a rock hall inspired Jersey. Good on and, them for, for passing up the, the obvious overused choice for the first three years. I, I mean, it, it, it felt inevitable. I, I honestly, I'm stunned. It took four years to get here, but yeah, I, I heard that, you know, weeks ago that they were going to do something rock hall inspired. Didn't really see what it was going to look like, but yeah, yesterday we finally saw it. And uh, I, I figured out that the letters, it <laughs> everybody was joking, it looks like a ransom note because every letter in Cleveland looks different. Um, and it, it occurred to me, like, these look like different logo letters from different uh, Rock Hall inductees. So my Twitter mentions from about 4.30 until the time I went to bed last night were really fun with people trying to piece together what all the different letters were and what bands they were from. So... Um, I'll be interested to see when the Cavs actually formally unveil these, whether they're uh, going to, you know, how much they have to say about that. Cause it definitely looks like uh, that was the inspiration. Um, but I guess we'll see. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a really ugly Jersey. Um, <laughs> I don't have it's a good way about it. Uh, <laughs> I could live with the, I mean, no, I probably couldn't. I said that. And as I look at it right now, I don't think I could live with it, but I could live with the like goofy ransom note Cleveland font across the front. If it wasn't accompanied by just the normal number underneath it, like none of it looks like a cohesive design whatsoever. Yeah. Um, 
I, I hate that just, number. I'd font almost just general, rather they took but... the font from the Rock Hall itself and used it. Yeah, which, which would be just as recognizable because no one's going to look at this and know what the hell it's supposed to be. I'm pretty sure the font from the Rock Hall is the same font that we use for the nail in the coffin, Rockwell. But <laughs> perfect. <laughs> Fun Perfect. trivia for you there. Perfect. You guys looking to <laughs> you guys looking for the little uh, patch up in the jersey? We can't afford it, but we'll <laughs> I will get the patches printed off for you, and you can put them on there for free. We'll talk um, to Jack Prince or uh, Vista Print or uh, there it is. No, I'm going to Daffy Dan's. Daffy Dan's. God bless. Got to. Got oh. to. Cleveland Institution. Hey, maybe um, next year we'll get a Daffy Dan inspired city jersey. <laughs> that, I would love it. I would love it. They should have just done the uh, Sokolowski's fine in, in honor of them going out of business. Oh. Um, but the other thing that's sort of weird to me is the red and yellow don't look like wine and gold to me. Um, that was know. probably just the picture. Maybe. I mean, that, Maybe. That's, I hope that's so. the Cavs wine and gold. I hope so. Okay. All right. But I mean, either way, it's, 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 it's a, it's a really ugly jersey. Like it's really bad, man. Really, really, really bad, man. That's all yeah. I have to say. I, 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 I'm not going to say I liked it, but I hated it slightly less when I understood what they were going for. I'm like, okay, so this is just a really rough interpretation or execution of um of a, a concept that probably should have been left in development. Um. I feel like it. the other thing is like, I feel like it could have been done much better. Like you could have picked letters from every logo from a bunch of different logos and made this look still a million times better than it does. Yeah. Or, you know, I, I saw somebody suggest you could have like, you know, made Cleveland in a font that looked like one of the local music venues, like the Agora or something like that. Um, yeah. Or, or the Odeon or, uh, or like you said, the Rock Hall, that uh, that would have worked as well. So. I think you and I are generally in agreement that when it comes time to like brand Cleveland on the national stage, they, they kind of cop out and go the rock and roll route way too often. Um, Death taxes and Stratocasters, man. That's every time. I mean, you look at the 97 NBA All-Star game, the, uh, the Major League Baseball All-Star game from last year. Uh, the women's final four in 2007, um, the RNC in 2016. Uh, I'm, I know I'm blanking on a couple others, but like every time, every like, time Cleveland is on the national stage, the branding is a, a fucking Stratocaster guitar. guitar. Yeah. It's without fail. So yeah. we have not seen the shorts yet for the, for this uh, oh, city God. edition. So oh, God. Who knows? don't do it. <laughs> don't do it oh my god i'll be fucking livid all these jerseys are disaster no matter what so yeah get it out of your system do it all now i gotta say i i really liked the ones last year the the navy ones with the white and gold trim in that was one where again they were trying to mash up a bunch of different eras and things like that and the concept seemed like it would be a horrible idea but once i actually saw it i'm like this actually looks really cool. Um, the the feathered CLE with the you know '90s numbers was a little weird, but other than that, I felt like that was about ninety percent of the way towards something that I would rather have as their full time uniform. Yeah, last year's wasn't terrible. I mean, it, I haven't seen any that I've loved. Honestly, ninety five percent of the ones I've seen across the league, I haven't really loved. They haven't been that great. Um, 
but yeah, last year's wasn't bad. I I could take it or leave it. It's not something that infuriated me. It was, um, I look at like the Ohio state every once a year, they, they roll out some alternate and I either love it or I'm just okay with it. There's, I personally think Ohio state's uniforms are flawless the way they are. Um, as long as they add the gray stripes back. Um, but the alternates they've rolled out, I've been, you know, sort of here and there on that sort of, Last year's was one of those ones where I didn't hate it. It was fine. It was okay for, you know, I don't know how many games a year they wear it, but um, every once in a while it was fine. It didn't, it didn't, it didn't offend me to see it out there. This the one game that got canceled this past weekend, weren't they supposed to wear like white pants with the white jersey yeah, or something? Which is just a weird, that's a weird change. It's not even an alternate. It's just like, we're going to, we're, yeah, we're going to roll out white pants. I, I don't know. I think if, if I go back, and this is a hard side note, something I feel passionate about though. Nevertheless, um, the 2014 playoff when Ohio state won the national title, I guess, 2015 playoff. Yeah. It was both 14, 15, whatever the one that you're the one national title that uniform should have become their permanent uniform from that point forward. Um, and they should never touch it. Um, particularly the helmet. Um, so yeah, white pants. I, I don't know. I don't really get the point. It's not even really creative. It's just like we're just gonna change the color of the pants. Okay, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but as far as NBA jerseys go, this one's bad. It, there's been some honestly where I look at them and I'm like, yeah, this is bad. But when I see it on the on the floor or on the field, it might not look so bad. This one might look worse. <laughs> well, we're gonna have a nice looking court this year. Somebody on YouTube was. Showing NBA 2K21 a oh, few yeah, weeks you ago, had that. and uh, yeah, that was. I've had a few lately. I've, I've uh, caught a little fire on Twitter. It's been fun. Yeah. Um, He's heating up. That's right, <laughs> boom shakalaka. But uh, no, the Cavs do have a nice looking court this year. Um, so we, we, we've got that going for us, which is nice. Yeah, I I, I don't know. I mean, what do you think of the the Cavs draft pick? Oh, uh, Okoro. Um, I'm excited. I I I think it's uh, a, a good pick. I uh, it seems like he uh, checks off a lot of boxes. I'm you know I'm interested to see where he fits in. Uh, you know, a lot of it is going to hinge on the you know the Cavs coaching staff's ability uh, to work with him on his shot. I think they've been pretty confident that they can improve guys' shot uh, form. They've done it with several players who are already on the roster, and I think that was kind of the one drawback with Okoro. So um, if they can work that magic with him, then, um, yeah, it could work out real well. But, you know, <laughs> I'm just hoping I get a chance to see it. So come yeah. on, Sinclair. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was I'm, I didn't watch nearly enough college basketball last season to have any opinion on him whatsoever or have any opinion on really anybody. So, I'm, I don't know, I saw a lot of people sort of like, beating their chest, being really passionate one way or another. And I feel like those people are kind of in the same position. They've watched slightly more college basketball than me, and they don't really know if anyone's any good or not. They just feel like they need to have strong opinions. Um, Well, I think there's also just uh, eagerness to have like literally anything Cavs related to talk about. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. So, yeah, I mean, I'll be optimistic and, you know, hope that he develops into a good player. That's, that's sort of all I'm going to hope for. Be a interesting year for the Cavs. Um, we'll leave it at that for now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anything else? No, wrap it up. All right. As always, you could subscribe to the nail in the coffin on Apple podcasts or Spotify. We're also on 
TuneIn and Stitcher, and you can stream us from your uh, computer on waitingfornextyear.com. It's going to do it for this episode. For Travis Shuley, I'm Tom Valentino. It's been the nail in the coffin. We'll talk to you again soon. Running should be simple. Just put on your shoes and go. And yet, when you try to learn about how to get better at it, especially as you age, you're confronted with conflicting advice, complicated workouts, and confusing nutrition trends that just won't work for you. On The Planted Runner, I'll share exactly how to run faster, longer, and feel great doing it at any age because you don't have time to waste. I'm Coach Claire Bartholik, and I went from not running at all in my late 30s to finishing a marathon in 2.58 at age 42, all on a plant-based diet. I've helped hundreds of runners achieve new personal records well into their 60s and even 70s with science-back training, plant-based nutrition, and proven mental strength techniques. Each episode of The Planted Runner is like a private coaching session on the run where you'll learn from me and the guests I interview. You'll get actionable lessons to help you become a better runner every week and reach goals that you never thought possible. Whether you're training for your first 5K or your 50th marathon, take along the planted runner on your next run. Let me show you how your best running is still ahead of you. 